We have a ton of shows scheduled for you guys today. It's going to be very exciting. Uh, we first of all, well, after the first break, I'll be speaking to Dr. Kat Lindley when I bring Dr. Kelly Victory in as well. Uh, Dr. Lindley is a family practitioner with practice in Texas. And uh, she is the president and co-founder of Global Health Project. You can follow her at KL Veritas, as well as read more at the Global COVID Summit org we're going to get into what's been going on with the world health organization uh in addition to a few other subjects um around <laughs> what went wrong which is always what i'm asking myself what what happened there uh, through COVID? i think people are it's coming into focus for people slowly but because so much of this uh these days seems to be on an international scale i thought i would bring in freddie ponton for a minute uh first part of the show he's a french author independent researcher journalist who covers european politics he's going to help us also with the world health organization but more importantly help us understand what is going on in france uh and uh, what we need to know uh, what we need to learn uh that he knows we'll be right back to do so after this our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying, you go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. I want to share with you a teeth whitening system that goes beyond merely enhancing your smile. Primal Life Organics Real White Teeth Whitening System offers convenience and rapid results without harsh chemicals. Light, blue light for whitening, red light for gum and oral hygiene, and you can just do both if you wish. Works naturally, promoting gum healing, tooth remineralization, gives you a brighter and a healthier smile. Again, no peroxide involved. Consistent usage yields remarkable results. Take this opportunity to transform your smile and at the same time, optimize your oral health. Aim for five times a week for the best outcomes. Discover more about this remarkable teeth whitening system and other products at drdrew.com primal today. That again is drdrew.com P-R-I-M-A-L. Be sure to use that link for 60% off drdrew.com slash p-r-i-m-a-l do it today for 60 percent off you can spend thousands of dollars trying to look a few years younger or you can skip all of that hassle and go with what works genucel skincare genucel is the secret to better skin in fact you might have witnessed the astonishing effects of genucel during a recent unplanned moment on our show when just a little Genucel XV restored my skin within minutes right before your eyes. That's how fast these products work. I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at Genucel.com. Susan and I love Genucel so much, we've created our own bundles so you can try our favorite anti-wrinkle treatments, correcting serums, and ultra-retinol creams. Just go to Genucel.com Drew. Use the code Drew for an extra discount and free priority shipping. Again, that is Genucel.com slash Drew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash D-R-E-W. 
All right. As I said, we got an action-packed show today. A reminder, we are not in here tomorrow. We'll be here on Friday at 3 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, a little bit of a wonky schedule coming up, so please pay attention. We appreciate that. Freddie is an author, independent researcher, journalist based in France who covers European politics, geopolitics, NATO, international criminal investigation, as well as corporate and military intelligence. You can follow him at Twitter, LFC News Media, LFC News Media, and read more of his work at 21st, the number is 21 with ST, 21st Century Wire, 21st Century Wire. Freddie, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure being with you, Dre. It's great to be on the show. And and I want to be sure to, you know, we one of the reasons we brought Freddie up right now is it is it is nine hours later in France, and uh, we are trying to be kind <laughs> to his schedule. So uh, I appreciate you willing to come on and work with us. And, uh, you know, it's midnight there in France. So here we go. Uh, first of all, I, I heard you on a Twitter spaces, and I just thought to myself, I actually reached out and said, like, we, we must speak to this gentleman. Uh, you had some very interesting insights into what was going on in France. But then at the end of, you know, sort of describing to us what you thought was going on there. And so I do have lots of questions there. And why does it feel so familiar to what happened in this country? And uh, why are these organizations uh, like, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the one that's out, out uh, help me somebody, Susan, the uh, organization that is in the streets here so much. Anyway, why are they internationally? Uh, Al-Qaeda? No, no, no. <laughs> Antifa? I mean, um, I'm sorry, Antifa. Antifa, thank you. Why are organizations like Antifa having such international reach? Who is funding it? That's one question. And then uh, I just want to uh, sort of remind you at the end of uh, the spaces I heard you on, you said something very provocative, which was France is no longer a republic and the whole government needs to be reorganized in such a way that the republic is reestablished. And I thought, huh, we could use a dose of that here as well. So what's going on there? And tell us a little more about how a republic can be reestablished as a republic. Well, it's a very good question and very relevant uh, question, Drew. And of course, I I'm a patriot. I love my country. I, I, the country has, has given me so much and it's, it's my time to give back. Uh, to, to be a patriot, you first need to have a nation. Uh, and I think since uh, the last past uh, 30 years, we've, uh, we've uh, literally been losing uh, control of our nation. The European process has been a disaster uh, for, for the French citizenry. And this is what I was referring to. I think it's important to have control uh, not only of your borders, but uh, the, um, the the destiny of your nations. So if you have a political will and, and courage, clearly you need to be able to be in control of your policy, your currency, and perhaps your borders. So that's something very important to me. And I was brought up with this kind of values. Uh, I come from a, a family that has a, a long history of France, 14 uh, World War, and uh, they always told me, you know, if you if you if you want to be patriot, you need to have a nation, you you need to have a country to defend. So that's my first priority. Now, I've been away from France for a very long time, Drew. I've spent about thirty years of my life uh, going around the world for work purposes and pleasure, and uh, returning to France was quite a bit of a shock. And uh, uh, the first thing that comes to obviously that that popped in my eyes was the um, the lack of social cohesion in this country. So. I got very interesting, and uh, I, I took the time to go on the streets, speak to to my brothers and sisters. Doesn't matter where they come from. I'm a man of color, but I grew up. My, all my family are white Christians, you know. So it doesn't matter. I fit anywhere, and that's fine by me. 
So I, and it's also an advantage. It allows me to go to places that might some people find dangerous and others. And I wanted to know what was going on. And uh, uh, my finding was absolutely shocking. And then uh, obviously on top of that, the, the recent events that we've also unfolding uh, on the uh, on the social media over the last past five days, uh, which has really rocked France, but also uh, captured the attentions of countries around the world, including the United States. And uh, uh, I was first of all wondering why the U.S. was so interested about these riots and what was going on. And uh, uh, very quickly, I understood that the uh, um, the subject of immigration was a a problem and also a topic of interest for for the United States with the uh, kind of extensive. Uh, 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 debates around the uh, the control of the border of the United States. So it, it's a very important because, uh, you know, 40 years ago, we, we didn't know what was going on in the United States. And uh, we, we currently now, at a speed of light, uh, be able to, to exchange and uh, uh, clearly see uh, our differences, but also uh, the things that, that, that affect us the most uh, as countrymen, as, as taxpayers, and as fathers and mothers and, and brothers. So I think it was very important for me to try to get to the bottom of this and trying to make sense of these riots, understanding exactly what we have been told. And, uh, and that's what I'm here today. And, and give us a little sort of sketch on what, what you have learned. And then if you could, for me, help me understand how this organization Antifa has become such a player in, in, in amplifying these events, both in France and the United States. Well, Antifa is not new. You see, you have to go back in the history and they've been here for quite some time. They're well financed, they're well organized. And we found them all across Europe, not only in France, in Germany, they, they're pretty much everywhere. Be active, obviously, in the United States. But uh, this is part of a uh, social engineering and this is part of a also uh, political engineering, if, if you will. So to look at a problem like the riots and obviously the different participants, you really need to to look at the problem through different lenses. Now, I love history, so the story of immigration in France is one of which I find interesting to, to try to understand if we can bring some answers looking at the history of immigration in France. Uh, I'll be very quick on that because I think it could be interesting for an American audience to understand. But uh, after the, the First World War in France, you know, 14, 1918, we basically lost a lot of men and we needed basically people to rebuild the country. So. We lost our workforce. We took a lot of people from, uh, you know, Spaniards, Portuguese, uh, Italian, uh, Jewish people from across the, uh, you know, Eastern Europe. We had many people coming from all across Europe, helping us rebuild the countries. Many people were Caucasian, at least white in passing. And it was very easy. A lot of people had a Catholic background. So it was a success story. A lot of people did extremely well for themselves. And it's not unusual to see today uh, the grandson of these people being, uh, you know, in politics or great successful entrepreneurs. So all in all, a very successful story. And then the Second World War kicked in. Obviously, same scenario, lost a lot of people. Rebuilding the country was a, a big challenge. But this time over, uh, they decided to uh, go back to the uh, old colonies and basically get uh, the North African uh, workforce and the sub-Saharan uh, also workforce. So we brought them uh, into the country. And uh, these are very hardworking people. They, uh, they had to go through, obviously, the hiccups of uh, coming to a new nation, not being Catholic, being Muslim, with a very strong culture, a uh, similar idea about family unity and cohesion, so that uh, fits quite nicely with the French. But then, obviously, the uh, 
the, the large number of, of this uh, population coming out of North Africa uh, was thrown into factories. And, you know, they were very, very much part of the economic system of France, you know, in the automotive industry uh, and on and on. You know, I'll spare you the details. But what's really marking about the history is that until that such a time, we didn't have any problem of social cohesion. Everything was gaining on just fine. And that really takes us to 1968, the real kind of a student revolution where our very strong, very rigid education system, which provided basically uh, the, the real value, the French value, which were basically sharing with uh, uh, this workforce, with these uh, uh, migrants, which were no migrants any longer. Many people have already a French passport. They've already very well assimilated in the, in the economy and also in the social fiber. So we didn't have any problem, but the problem is the kids were out. They were no more at school after 1968. We lost that quality of education. The, uh, obviously, the, the strength, uh, some people say it was too zealous and 1960 open a complete new door, a liberal door where kids were out and they were not at school and they're starting to be packed and literally assembling in this huge housing project on the suburb of large city like Paris, Lyon, Marseille. And that's how it all started. So it didn't happen in a day, but it was progressive. It really was, you know, a step-by-step -step, uh, problem that started to uh, uh, obviously be appearance. And we needed so to address it. So it's something that is the... That is the kind of thing that people talk about here. Is that they'll, you'll hear people here say, "We need to teach civics again. We need to you know, teach the ideas upon which you know the, this particular uh, country was founded." And I, I think that's what I heard you saying about reestablishing the republic. You know that you know Bastille Day is right upon us here, and uh, it seems like people don't think about really what happened there in those tennis courts or whatever they were when when they when they reestablished. Uh, the form of government that that you have, and in this country, I don't know if this is happening over there as well. Uh, it's all been dismissed as irrelevant because it's a bunch of old men, many of whom own slaves. Therefore, we we shouldn't listen to them. We can't listen to them. Uh, it has no relevance to today's world. Are you hearing that kind of stuff in France as well? Well, we certainly hear it in the United States, and it's uh, it's appalling to to see what's happening. Uh, obviously, we we're very conservative uh, naturally in France. Doesn't matter whether you're left or right, you can still be very conservative. You know, we we have no issue with that that, that dichotomy. But really, what we are looking at at the moment is a, a different. Uh, it's a completely different scenario from what you're having. What you're having was creating. It's 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 really men created. It, it is a political agenda. Where in France is slightly different. It is actually a lack of political courage. And the last past four or five administrations have been kicking the can to the next administration. They basically washed their hand about the problem in this really troubled neighborhood. And uh, they didn't want to address the problem. No political courage, no investment whatsoever. Although we have a lot of public-private partnership in France, as you know, <laughs> a lot of people are interested in supporting the, the presidential campaigns. But uh, when it is the time to put money into this neighborhood, there's no bonnet to be made. So that's what nothing is happening. Nobody wants to take the responsibility. Nobody wants to open the dialogue. And it's only a matter of time. 
you know, if we left this problem unattended, that it's going to basically come back and bite us in our house. So first time it happened in 2005. Some of you might remember there was a huge amount of travel in France, a lot of riots, 9,000 cars, a lot of millions, millions of uh, uh, of uh, destructions. And uh, the government should have really uh, addressed the problem at that time. They just didn't. They, it, it's a complete makeup because nobody's interested in this problem. And do you have any ideas on how to find your way out? What's that, uh, Caleb? Are you talking to me? No, that wasn't me. Sorry. Did I hear Caleb jump in here? Okay. Uh, it, what? What? You know? What are the kind of solutions that uh, are out there? I mean, it doesn't. The riots themselves clearly don't do anything. Uh, they've we've tried. You know, they've been happening for 15, 18 years. Uh, zero progress. Only further decay or further uh, descent into more of these kinds of difficulties. What, what's the solution? I think it's, it has to be a, a, a solution that comes from a different angle. It, obviously, the, uh, the obvious angle is, is, is from the government. That, that's what governments are, are here for, to, to address these kind of issues which affect the security, the safety. Uh, and, and obviously, we need to, to have some form of a guarantee that, uh, uh, you know, this will not happen again. So the government has a big part of, to play in that and uh, to un understand the response of our governments which we were expecting them to come up with some kind of solutions or ideas or saying well we're going to actually have to address this problem and I think you also on social media that uh, they're not going to be addressing this problem but rather clamping down on social media and internet and uh, I'll give you a couple of details about right, eliminating that point, but, yeah eliminating uh, civil liberties that that's a great solution we've seen how that worked through a pandemic Pandemic. Beautiful job, everybody. My God. So last thing. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the World Health Organization and this now, this now, uh, what should we call it? A, a meta organization that wants to usurp liberties and uh, civil liberties in particular when the next pandemic comes around. What are people feeling in France about that? Well, ter terrible. Obviously, the, we, we have had a, a terrible experience with COVID-19, and I'm sure you guys went pretty much for the, the same uh, the tyranny. But uh, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a big question. Yeah? It's, it's a much bigger question than just a, a pandemic treaty. We're, we're looking at uh, a power grab coming from supranational and uh, really some uh, VIP uh, uh, group, uh, whatever you want to call them, cabal or not, but are they extremely well organized, extremely well financed, and uh, they, they, they're not interesting in asking. They, they're going to take what they want, and uh, they've planned that for a very long time. I've happened to actually do a, a very extensive investigation on the uh, uh, COVID-19 response in the United States and the COVID-19 response in Europe. And uh, nobody has ever heard of the COVID-19 uh, response in Europe and how militarized it was and how NATO was involved. Mm. Uh, a lot of things that's very interesting to talk about it, but that's going to be for another show probably. But uh, what's All interesting right, yeah, let, well, is... Let's, let's, let's plan that. I think we should plan that. And, and that's what we will do. Today, we're going to talk to Kat, Kat Lindley about some of the, the, the uh, details of this whole thing. But um, yeah, it's just my last point is that uh, when I was in Paris, year and a half ago the youth were in the streets uh demonstrating against the mandatory jabs because they were saying hey this is you told us this thing's not going to hurt us and now you're going to force us to take a vaccine that is not a that's not the founding principle of this country and i literally had a ticket i as i was leaving france i was at a united ticket counter this young woman got off behind the counter and says you don't understand it's important liberté it's important it's a founding principle are people still that fired up in france 
<laughs> more than ever, probably more than I've ever seen. Actually, I mean, we're fighting back, right. and we're not going to let that happen. So that 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 All global right. treaty uh, is not going to happen with us. I can tell you straight. Uh, I have some of my colleagues oh, okay. actually yesterday in Brussels talking about that. So it's uh, no, we, we're going to put All a right. fight. Well, thank them. We're you. You leave us with a with a positive thought. I I, I rarely feel optimistic after fi finishing in my <laughs> interviews, but today I've left with a so far I'm a little bit positive. We'll see what Cat does to me. All right, Freddie, thanks so much, and we'll bring you back to talk more about the COVID response in Europe and uh, hear more about that. Okay. You bet. Thank you so much, uh, Freddie Ponson. Again, you can follow him at uh, LFC News Media on Twitter and 21stCenturyWire.com. Coming up, Kat Lindley. She is, uh, as I said, a family practitioner, primary care practice in Texas. She's president and co-founder of Global Health Project. Uh, hang on. What? Oh, yeah, of course, Kelly Victory is coming in here with her as well. You can follow uh, Kat at KL Veritas and read more at GlobalCovidSummit.org. So uh, we'll bring Dr. Kelly Victory in here and Dr. Kat Lindley right after this. I suspect you've seen Susan and I gushing over Paleo Valley products. We love the taste and how well they fit into a paleo-based nutrition regimen. They're delicious and we use them for travel all the time. But there is more. We are huge fans as well of Paleo Valley's grass-fed bone broth protein. It comes in three flavors, unflavored, vanilla and chocolate. It's a powder you can add to really anything. We add it to coffee literally every day. Smoothies, baked dishes, just hot water dissolves really easily. The bone broth protein is made with 100% grass-fed and finished bones that are free from pesticides or antibiotics and are slow simmered to extract as much collagen as possible. As we age, collagen breaks down. That's what wrinkles are. And research shows that there are significant benefits to adding a collagen source in your diet. I don't think it's too much to say it's changed our lives. And Susan is now reporting that after drinking the bone broth for a few weeks, her hair is stronger and longer and nails are stronger too. Try it for yourself. You can order at drdrew.com slash paleovalley and use Dr. Drew at checkout to save an additional 15%. A lot of you have been asking for more information about how to counter the adverse effects of the spike protein from COVID infections and the COVID vaccine. The spike protein is not your friend. Let's just say that. So I'm glad we have the wellness company Spike Support Formula as a sponsor, especially since renowned internist and cardiologist Dr. Peter McCullough, who's also chief scientific officer of the wellness company, is one of its champions. There's some very intriguing research around natokinase, which might be a way to take on the spike protein. Listen to this. So start, if you would, with talking about natokinase, how you got to that and where you see its application. So with the viral infection or the vaccines, the spike protein stays within the body and it's found in the heart, the brain, the vital organs, and it's causing problems. The Japanese have been using this for heart and vascular disease now for 20 years. It's safe. It is a form of a mild blood thinner that it dissolves the spike protein nearly completely. Spike support formula is the only product on the market containing natokinase, dandelion root, and a host of other antioxidants all showing promise in helping you protect yourself and your family. To order this unique, specially formulated supplement, go to drdrew.com slash TWC. That is drdrew.com slash TWC. Use code DREW at checkout for 10% off today. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home, quote, Our currency is crashing and will soon no longer be the world standard which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. There are three reasons the central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is, there is one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval, dating back to biblical times, gold. 
and you can own it in a tax shelter retirement account with the help of Birch Gold. That's right, Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just visit birchgold.com Drew for your free info kit. They'll hold your hand through the entire process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. I do not give financial advice, and previous performance is no guarantee of future performance. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew to get your free info kit on gold. That is B-I-R-C-H-G-O-L-D dot com slash D-R-E-W. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. If this episode ends here, the rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. Please welcome Dr. Kelly Victory and joining us as well, Dr. Kat Lindley. Ladies, thank you so much. And Kelly, I'll let you drive a little bit here. Terrific, Kat. Thanks so much for joining us. We, uh, we've been looking forward to this show for a long time. And that was a great lead in, actually, that conversation with Freddie Ponton, uh, because I wanted to start today with talking. There's You were the very first person who brought to my attention uh, this pending issue with the World Health Organization, uh, namely this interest of theirs and, and potentially of multiple governments around the world in essentially abdicating control uh, of their own public health uh, to the World Health Organization in the times of, of crisis. Um, the reason I want to start with that is because what Fred was talking about this very natural, normal desire that I think for most people who are patriotic to want to maintain and defend the cultures of their own country, uh, to the identities of their own country, not only control their borders, but as Freddie said, control their policies and their cultures. And certainly, you know, in my mind, and I hope perhaps in yours and Drew's as physicians, to control the health of our own countries and our countrymen, uh, which are not uh, necessarily the same as in other countries. So I want to start by giving you a, the opportunity to explain in lay terms for those people who might not be fully aware of what's going on right now with the WHO, what is this treaty that we are talking about and how does it tie into this power grab that we've just been discussing uh, with Freddie? Thank you for having me, by the way. Uh, so I would like to actually say there are two things we have to worry about. It's not only the treaty, but it's also the amendments to the international health regulations. Both of those instruments are trying to give more power to WHO. And uh, what we've experienced for the past three years would be kind of to the nth degree, because what the uh, show would like to do is have uh, this opportunity to keep us in this perpetual state of uh, some kind of emergency response. And with that, they would have the power to actually implement uh, whether we have new vaccine mandates, lockdowns, uh, labs, uh, the ways of diagnosis, and to increase this whole bureaucracy of their own by uh, demanding that each country has to give uh, 5% of their uh, healthcare budget to WHO. 
it's very important to know that if this passes and um, the voting on this is going to be in May of next year, uh, the countries, in my opinion, do give up their sovereignty because you would have this organization that's, you know, has nothing to do with our uh, representation actually dictating how any country responds to next emergency. And uh, we talk about mandates and what happened this past uh, three years is going to be a lot worse. Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the things that that really strikes me is that, first of all, their their tagline for this WHO uh, business and this uh, these treaties is one globe, one health. The idea that we are one, we are all the same. So it takes, you know, the, the very essence of patriotism, of love of country, of commitment to your country, your fellow countrymen. Uh, you know, we just were one day after our Independence Day here in the United States, you know, where we are celebrating those people who lived and died and gave their blood and sweat and tears to create this country for what it is to break away from another uh, whose value values it did not share and to create our own country and to stand on our own. And when you start talking about this idea, hang on one second, that, that, that we are yeah, all sure. the same, that, that all of the sudden when it comes to health, that all bets are off and we all have the same values, the same tolerance yeah. for risk, the same tolerance for giving up our civil liberties, the same tolerance for right. allowing someone else to make decisions for us. The, you know, those are not equivalent. Uh, what we do here in the United States is quite different from what they're willing to tolerate in Canada, our very closest neighbor, let alone what they're willing to tolerate in places like China or much of Asia or even, you know, Africa. So isn't it really a way of trying to say that we are all going to be ultimately equivalent, equal playing ground when it comes to our health. And if I could pile on top of that really quickly, they are also adding to that the notion that we, the human being, has no privilege relative to other mammals, other animals. There's this, I don't know if you're aware of that, but there's this, I forget it's called One Health or something. It's some bizarre aphorism they have One for health. it, where literally not only is your national sovereignty not an issue, your cultural predilection's not an issue, you as a human being are given no special privilege. It's really uncanny. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up. One Health is uh, this new agenda, and you can take that from two different uh, points of view. One is exactly what you're saying, Dr. Drew. For them, One Health means that human plants and uh, the earth have the same exact uh, rights. There was actually a conference in Ireland about two, three weeks ago where they discussed, uh, I wouldn't call them civil rights, but they discussed rights of plants. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then if you take this from the physician point of view, you know, this patient physician relationship is probably the most sac sacred relationship we share. And we have to look at our patients as individuals. We have to discuss what really means to them anything we decide uh, when it comes to treatment or any type of care. So to have WHO yep. with this One Health agenda say that we're all equal and one size fits all, we know that never worked in medicine. And that was one of the problems that happened in during the pandemic. And yep. Kelly, you know my story. I, I grew up in Yugoslavia, in Croatia. And uh, you can look this from this patriotic point of view as well. We need to truly start being... 
love our country. We need to really start uh, thinking of our country uh, as how much it has given to all of us and be proud of it, you know, and to give up uh, the rights of American citizens to WHO. And they just recently uh, in WHO and United Nations brought, uh, I believe it was Iran to Human Rights uh, Council. Or it, was, it, was, it was, you know, one of those countries that we always wonder how they treat their own citizens. To have these other representatives decide how our patients, how our people are going to live. Honestly, it's idiotic, for lack of a better yeah. word. And I think, we, you know, we need men better of our representatives. I, I recently just um, um, gave a testimony to the HHS last week about this pandemic treaty and the fact that we as Americans should not be giving our sovereignty and our medical decision-making to WHO, and that's really important to um, to make sure that our legislators understand that Americans, American physicians, uh, and patients, we can decide what's best for our families and for ourselves. And you know, I yeah, was I was, ways, had the I- opportunity to interview Michelle Bachman on this very issue. She's former uh, representative, and she says she goes to Washington and cannot get any attention on this issue. They seem not to care. She is quite exercised about it. Kelly, you wanted to say something. Well, I was going to say, I feel like this entire pandemic was a way of paving the way towards this because, and I've said many times, of all of the errors that were made during this pandemic, uh, and that's a long list from which to choose, uh, the greatest error was truly them acting, meaning the powers that be, the CDC, FDA, and and all the public health officials, Mm -hmm. acting as if everyone was at equivalent risk from COVID-19 when we knew from the very beginning that that was not the case. The vast majority of people were at no risk whatsoever. But there's this overwhelming need all of the sudden in the United States, and it sounds like in France and elsewhere, to act as if we are all equivalent. We are all on level playing grounds. In all respects. In all respects, exactly, including things like healthcare, where that is the furthest thing from the truth. Uh, We know that we have to stratify people's true risks from any given thing. My risk of developing diabetes is not the same as as Drew's. My risk of developing lots of things or my concern for things is not the same as yours, Kat. Um, You know, you, you have many children. I don't have children. There are things that we are all individuals and this entire thing, It seems to me that the pandemic, if you boiled it down, was a way to rid people of their individuality, i.e. wear a mask, have no facial expression, stay apart from one another, and act as if we are all in the same boat and must all be treated identically. Uh, And that is anathema to, to what I was trained as a physician and what you were trained as a physician, that we are supposed to take into account all of the intricacies of the nuance of that individual patient, his or her own personality, history, you know, medical issues, religion, risk tolerance, and all of these things, culture, all of these things. And all of the sudden, this to me seems like it was one big plan to lead us up to this power grab. What is your, you are far more uh, versed in this cat than than I am. What is your uh, sense about the likelihood of this actually happening, these treaties or these amendments actually taking place and taking hold. Oh, I think we have we lost Kat. Oh goodness! Uh, we well, you and I can sit here and 
we'll get her back, I'm sure. But you, you and I can sit here and rail about this for a while because this is what we've been. She we, needs a refresh. We sort of started with you and I, Kelly, like, huh, this doesn't seem right. This over-centralization, right. if you remember, of medicine was the first thing I saw. Then the complete relinquishing of our job. Go home till your PO2 is 85 and then call me maybe then. Or maybe, you know, call right. an ambulance to bring you back to the ER then. I mean, this was astonishing. And then people who have no business with a with a vote in this in how we practice right. medicine suddenly having incredible opinions about lockdowns and these medications that you and I have been using for years that they just learned how to pronounce they never heard of before oh, and yet now they have uh, they're like over the top opinions about how they should be deployed this was disgusting right. and we and the fact they, that they, that's not yeah sort of seen throughout the land is very hard for me to understand how people can still defend what went on there is kind of astonishing to me why do you think it is the case that there are still people that go oh well they just you know we didn't have much information we didn't know we did the best we could we did know we knew a lot and we in, we well, seem to exactly. specifically overlook it because it meant saying old people are higher risk young people are not a risk that's not equity we can't say it Exactly. And one of the things that I find fascinating, Drew, it, it, not even being allowed to differentiate between people who had and recovered from COVID, those people who had natural immunity, we couldn't even allow those people to be their own class. Everyone had to be the same. And this is happening, you'll recall, the juxtaposition of this, this overwhelming desire for equity. We all must be the same. We all must be treated the same. We all must have the same risk and have the same treatment. This is happening in juxtaposition to the exact same time when socially, we must allow people to be totally individual, to determine their gender, to determine their species, to determine whether or not they want to be gender, you know, binary or fluid. Whatever. Yeah. It's weird. These things are it's strange. It's a very, very strange time culturally that at the same time we are suggesting this absolutely amorphous sense of, of who people are and what they can be and actually even what, as I said, gender or species they are, that at the same time we are demanding we all must be the same. It's very odd. So, I Kat, you're back. So, Jay, jump in and yeah, take so off wherever we left you. Sorry, I'm actually at the beach in Galveston, so the internet has been kind of crazy. <laughs> but, um, that's exactly the point. They, do, they don't want us to be individuals. They don't want us to feel we're Americans, we're French, we're Italian, we're Croatians. They want us to have this global world that they can control. And just going back for a minute to pandemic treaty and the IHR amendments, the reason Michelle Bachman has a hard time when she goes to D.C. is because uh, most legislators will just say our constitution is going to protect us. I hope it does. I really hope it does. I hope that there is. It didn't protect us from the excesses of this whole thing. They, they did not right. protect us. It's a glitch. The, the health emergency is a glitch in the constitution. And unless we yeah. manage that glitch, laws or uh, court cases, whatever it, it is. And we are, you know, our friend Aaron Cariotti had some success this week with his uh uh, Missouri versus Biden, where he, you know now the Biden administration is not allowed to, at least for the moment, be able to uh, muscle the social media companies. That's Aaron Cariotti. That's a psychiatrist who was the head of bioethics at UC Irvine, who was fired because he said, I have to live it like I've spoken it my entire career. And I do not believe vaccine mandates are bioethically defensible. Fired out to out. 
fired summarily. Point being, this this says this glitch has got to be fixed, and so to say that the Constitution can protect us is 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 an asthma, as you said, Kelly. It's exactly how we got into this problem. Yeah, and that and question I agree that with I was that, just you know. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, yeah, so I was just going to say, I, was I that agree with that. When we lost when we lost the feed, the question I had asked you was, "What is your sense for the likelihood of the this treaty and these amendments actually getting put into to practice? What you know, wh where where are we?" I I feel they're going to be passed. I feel that May of twenty four, the WHO WHA assembly is actually going to vote for them and pass them. And then we're going to have to deal with the amendments to the IHR, which are already part of an international law. And we're going to have to uh, deal with the pandemic treaty, which gets ratified through the Senate. There are several bills right now in Senate and Congress that are dealing specifically with this. And one of the appropriations committees uh, decided to uh, not give any money to WHO. Those are all good steps forward. The problem is our own administration, the HHS are the ones that are pushing for these amendments and they are lobbying for these things. And if you actually watch the news, President Biden encourages um, um, the president of EU, I forget her name always, but he wants her to be a successor in NATO. So all of these things are very related and need to be watched very closely because UN is actually promoting the CBDC. So if you have this pandemic treaty and IHR amendments, where you can have the direct call. If he thinks there is some kind of emergency, he can call it uh, emergency of, you know, uh, of healthcare concern. And then it can become another pandemic where WHO can take um, initiative on how these things are run, whether it's again, mandates, uh, vaccines, treatments, and things like that. When you combine this global health digital passport that they just adopted from EU, with the UN initiative on CBDC, we are really not that far from the social credit scoring system of China. Some people will say we are alarmist. I truly don't think we are. You just have to watch the global scene and global scene is very scary right now. Yeah, well, I have, and, I have long you... been on the record by, for saying, you know, Drew, you know, I've said it many times in this show that from my perspective, yeah. the WHO is the long arm of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, it, there's no question. Yeah. The WHO being headed by not a real doctor, Dr. Uh, Tedros Gabrielis, who has a horrible, horrible uh, pedigree himself. He's a terrorist. He's aligned with many, many um, despicable uh, organizations. But from your perspective, again, Kat, who is leading this? Where is this coming from? It's not Dr. Tedros by himself, uh, and it's not solely the Chinese Communist Party. Who is driving this agenda? So, in my opinion, is you have to watch public-private partnerships, right? Bill Melinda uh, Foundation, Gavi Foundation, 
WEF initiatives, all of this is working very, very closely together. And um, you just have to follow the money at the end of the uh, at the end of it and see that everything's intertwined. Whether it's coming from WEF, whether it's coming from WHO or UN, they're all working together and it all has to do with money and who's going to control the most of it. I, I don't understand, though, how it is that somebody bright like Bill Gates can look at the pandemic in this country and our response and our excesses and the failures and look at that and go, boy, we just need more better versions of that uh, and more centralized and more powerful. I, I can't I can't get my head around that. What am I missing that, that other than power grab and some sort of money making whatever i i don't believe bill Gates needs more money i don't think that's his motivation is but i do not understand what he's thinking how we can look at what happened here and think uh more of that please some people just want the power you know it's really hard to tell what they're looking for but what they're looking for is this global centralization where they control how every aspect of life is going to happen and that's where you have to look at the one health agenda one health agenda exactly has to do with that did you feel in any way uh, more did you feel just a quick thing did you feel any more um any any positive feeling in hearing freddie's interview a half hour ago where he said the french are not going to put up for this they're going to fight back do you, do you a believe that or b did it give you a a feeling that uh, maybe some countries in the eu are going to not stand for this um Actually, I was in European Parliament in Brussels. I, I think we were there in May. I forget my dates are getting all blurred. But uh, we actually testified in the European Parliament regarding the COVID uh, response all around the world. And I do have hope because I feel that people have had it. Whether it's in Europe, whether it's United States, France, actually, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to see the riots, but at the same time, they give me hope because people have had enough. I kind of hope that Americans start feeling the same way. Um, you know, well, I think one of the reasons Americans didn't respond as strongly maybe as other countries is because um, I don't think anyone realized that for me, this was never about vaccine, about mask, about uh, uh, lockdowns. It was never about that. It was always about mandate because uh, the fact that country like America would actually require something of all of its citizens so that they can uh, have a job, provide for their family, always felt like an attack on freedom. And I don't think Americans have, always, and have ever been felt attacked. Uh, even when you talk about uh, World War II, Americans fought the war in Europe or in Pacific. I understand Hawaii was attacked, but the American soil, you know, the uh, um, Midwest or something like was never attacked. And I don't think Americans understood that this whole pandemic, that was probably one of the things that we had to stand up for was the freedom. The fact that they came after us, not with guns, but with these mandates. And um, I'm seeing the people all over our have had enough and they are starting to remember who America is. You know, I've written several pieces, um, is Republic dying? Uh, and at times it does feel that it is when you open the news and you look what happens in New York or in California or these other places, you wonder how have we allowed this, especially when it comes to our children and things like that. 
But then, uh, you know, you go to beach in Galveston and you watch a uh, Fourth uh, of July fireworks and you sit there, you know, around the table and speak to your neighbors and you realize that more and more Americans are remembering who they are. Boy, yeah, I, I think sure that's from true, but uh, you, you know, you, that, yeah, I, I agree with that, uh, Kelly. And, and but she didn't, you know, Kat, you were in Texas, not California, during this thing. And trust me, uh, it was about uh, lockdowns and masks and other things because California went berserk for years over this. Right. I, I've been spending a lot of time in Texas too, and it's compared to California, it's almost like it didn't happen. So it, it, that's part of the reason the U.S. is sort of not as universally exercised about this because it was a state-by-state -state experience, which is our strength, well, but it also you know, shows where things can run off the rail. I, I also think, and what the reason your conversation drew with Freddie resonated with me is because Freddie was talking about reinstilling understanding of civics. If people do not yep. understand where we came from, and unfortunately, um, most people, we are of a certain age, the three of us on this call, but the, you know, the people under the age of, of say, 35 or, or 40, I think have a very, very poor, rudimentary at best understanding of what it was that led us to a revolutionary war, what it was that led yeah. us, you know, led people to be willing to fight, you know, to die. To die for a concept, well, to die for a that's, concept, that's and that's something what it was. I, I tweeted yesterday the the a significant majority of the signers of the Declaration of Independence ended up dead at the hands of the British, or their mm -hmm. family dead, right. or their their or their um, homes and businesses destroyed. They would suffer dire consequences. I think our country thinks these guys just signed a piece of paper and went, well, that'll be that now. We're just going to wait this out, and uh, pretty soon the French will come right. and save right. us, and that'll be the end of it. This is in, this is, we have to get a grip on who we are and where we've come from. Including our including right, yeah. our horrible behaviors, including things that are reprehensible. We we've forgotten about reconstruction. We need to learn about that and how just atrocious that was. There's a lot of stuff we have to reconcile with. Some good, some not good at all. But if people don't remember that we fought, that people fought and died and died for a concept and were willing to fight for those liberties, uh, you know, all those years ago, they certainly aren't going to be willing to do it again if they think there's some, oh, it's just a, oh, it's just a vaccine. Oh, it's just social distancing. And they don't understand really what is going on here, that this is about ridding you, ripping your civil liberties from you. Um, yet I want to change directions for a little bit because I'm watching the clock lying down. You and I had a conversation um, uh, on the phone not that long ago and relative to something that you and I have both been tweeting about and I've talked about quite a bit, which is, you know, start with the idea of accountability. I have been very critical of my fellow physicians. I've been very, very critical of people who did things and said things and bought into stuff during this pandemic that I thought was insane. Uh, and I've been very critical of everything from the idea of other physicians promoting masks or this idiocy of social distancing uh, and lockdowns and, and all of the, you know, closing schools and then on to the vaccines. You have taken a little bit softer, gentler, more, um, more uh, perhaps a, uh, what's the word, a more gracious approach to our colleagues and have given them a, um, maybe an exit strategy, a way out, a way to save face. Let's talk a little bit about that, your, your approach to physicians who, in my mind, were largely culpable or complicit in this 
pandemic debacle and how you see it? So I'll just share a little bit of my story. You know, for me, um, when the whole thing started, um, I actually did have a, you know, that first patient that came to the emergency room who was very sick and it was very unusual presentation. Um, you know, she says, uh, she said, I have a sinus infection. Uh, and then I'm looking at her SATs and her oxygen saturation was very low. She was in the 80s, but she was speaking like a normal person. And this was like when when we were starting to see a lot of COVID um, things on TV and, uh, you know, the fear campaign coming from China and from New York. And I do remember I ended up sending her to the ER. And next thing when I came on a shift next day, I heard that she passed away in the uh, ICU. Um, so, you know, I had that fear of what's happening. Uh, you know, I was coming home in the middle of the night um, because I was doing 12-hour shifts to my family and my kids. And my little one would sometimes, you know, come and sleep in bed. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I bringing home to my family? And then uh, watching the TV, the, the ticker with the death rates going up and, you know, a lot of people fainting uh, on the streets of China, a lot of fear. And I was talking to a friend of ours, you'll know who she is, Kimberly Corba in Pennsylvania, also direct primary care physician. And we were talking late at night, almost every night, about what to do about our patients. And she goes to me, Kat, you're having, um, you know, uh, flashbacks. And I thought about it for a moment. And then I realized really what I was seeing is this fear, you know, this propaganda. And kind of took me back to, um, you know, the way I grew up under communism and things like that. And then the other thing that didn't make sense to me was, uh, as physician, you, you'll, you know, you, both of you will say the same thing. We are supposed to be that first line. You know, whatever is happening, you go in, you figure it out, you treat your patients, and you know, do the best you can. But we were told uh, not to do anything, right? To tell them uh, to uh, stay home unless they can breathe and go to the ER and things like that. So that never made sense. And then that final nail in the coffin for me was CDC and masks. Early on, uh, they told us to wear the full um, outfit, and then they ran out of it. So they said, wear N95 mask, and then they ran out of that. So they said surgical mask. And at one point, they actually went with bandanas. And uh, I think both of you know, when you work in a hospital, they make us try with that uh, helmet on. Uh, whether our mask is fitting or not. So they spray the saccharin inside and if you can taste the saccharin, the mask is not fitting, right? So those things happened really early on for me to really see beyond what's going on. So my journey to this was early. I started reading, you know, I know we were on call, Kelly, with other physicians and reading the papers about how to treat. And I pretty much started doing my job kept my head underwater and just, you know, did my thing. And uh, later on, I started speaking out more. But what we recognize is that not every physician came to this journey at the same time. And, uh, you know, trying to um, hit them over the head with too much truth at once, I think the best thing that we can do is share our stories so that they recognize themselves and hopefully start realizing that CDC is broken that NIH studies that are coming out are biased, that some of these things like you guys both mentioned, we need to look at the patient and not say one size fits all. None of that made any sense. Um, but my hope is with this Global Health Project uh, videos that we're doing, 
that they will recognize themselves in the story of six healthcare providers and start seeing that we need to step out of this matrix because this matrix is not really helping the ones that we are supposed to help, and that's our patients. So, so the different stories you tell, if I understand, you've got six different healthcare providers who talk about how it is that they came to understand that much of the pandemic was propaganda, that much of it was based on fear, that the vast majority of it was frankly a lie, that we were being told lies by the CDC, the FDA, and the powers that be, that social media had been co-opted, that the agencies had been bought. And so these different stories, these are six different healthcare providers talking very openly and honestly about how they essentially were initially duped or bought into it, and then came to an understanding of what the reality was. Does that pretty much summarize it? It is. And there are two goals that we're trying to accomplish them. I hope we accomplish. One is for physicians to see and recognize themselves in it and kind of maybe say, you know what, these colleagues have been honest and I can see what's happened and I'm ready to step out, even if they don't come out to speak out, that's totally fine, as long as they're doing the best they can for their patients. So uh, the point is, this will happen again. In my opinion, this was just an exercise for them to see how far can they get away, how far can they push the world. So we need to be ready for this next pandemic. So physicians have to truly realize, they have to remember that Hippocratic oath, right? Why did we go into medicine? We went into medicine to help people and to truly be advocates for our patients. So one goal is physicians, healthcare providers to try to maybe step away from that fear and recognize that the system is broken. But the other one is also patients. I would like for them to say, you know what, this doctor, I don't agree with him or her, and I'm going to look for someone who actually shares my values. Um, the reason I practice direct primary care is because I realized that my job is to pe- keep my patients healthy. Because if I keep them healthy, then they don't have to come to see me every so often. You know, they can, if they take care of themselves and take charge of their lives, then that's the best that they can do for themselves. So I want patients to recognize that the same way you go shop for a car, you look at different things, shop for a doctor, find someone that you like, find someone that shares exactly the same values. If you have questions, are they going to treat you if something happens, ask them now. If you have questions about vaccines, ask them what are their feelings about vaccines. You guys talked about statins, talked about diet, how important it is to, that we take care of ourselves. Those are things that I'm hoping uh, this, uh, these videos are going to accomplish. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for 
eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, you want to, oh boy. <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis versicolor mushroom, which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for a discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Because my concern, and I really appreciate what you're doing, because my concern has been this and the way that we treat our fellow physicians. There will be a next thing. It's going to happen again. Uh, sooner than anyone cares to, to admit, it's going to happen again. And I have been very um, fixated, uh, perhaps, and maybe too much so, in forcing people to acknowledge that they were duped, that they were wrong, because I find the um, the excuse that, well, we didn't know then. See, you know, we did what we did because we didn't know blank. We didn't know at the time about COVID or we didn't know. And I keep saying, don't, I'm not going to give you that cop out. We've known for decades that masks don't stop the spread of respiratory viruses. We've known for decades that lockdowns do more harm than good. We knew from the beginning that children were not at risk. We were not all at equivalent risk. So I've been sort of focusing on not giving people that cop out, if you will, because I'm terrified that when it happens again, what stops them from doing the same thing. Oh, it's a new, no, it's another novel virus. Guess we start back and start doing a bunch of silliness again because, quote, we don't know. And then, you know, that we end up living this again. So what's your, what, what's your take on that? How do we avoid living this again if people don't acknowledge that they just made silly decisions out of fear? So you're right. I, I come from a different point of view. And you and I have known each other even before COVID because we both fought for the independence of practice in medicine. I truly think that that's the only way that we can empower physicians to actually uh, represent the patient and become their advocates. In the United States, we practice corporate practice of medicine. Every time you have a physician who's employed by a hospital or a system or a large uh, you know, group, they kind of have to practice those rules. But also we have to recognize that we've been indoctrinated from our medical school. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I've been using this uh, analogy recently a lot. It's almost as if you're reading a Bible and you come to the end and someone tells you, you know what, Jesus is not your savior. He doesn't exist. That's kind of where we are now with this whole vaccine mm -hmm. debate. You know, this whole dialogue that RFK Jr. is bringing forth, or even the whole, the whole statin debate. You know, a friend yeah. of mine, Molly Rutherford, who is in the video, she shared it today on uh, Twitter. She read a book about ADHD and how ADHD is really a bogus diagnosis. And are we giving too much Ritalin to children? There's so many things in medicine that we haven't realized that we've been indoctrinated with from the beginning. And I think we have to give. Not permission, I hate that word, but we have to give people grace to find their own way, their own reason. Like I told you, for me, bandana was totally. That was, that was it. Me, that was, yeah. Yeah. 
it was like when, when they, and also, do you know, another one was actually the governor uh, from Michigan when she said that you cannot buy seeds and go outside and plant them. And I was like, right. don't they need vitamin D? It's like, there were so stupid things when I knew that it had nothing to do with health. It had to do with their seek for power. And um, right. so I think by sharing our stories, and I know you know this because you've been fighting for independent practice of medicine for a long time. If we empower more and more physicians to actually leave the system itself and become independent and start practicing whichever way they want, but start kind of unplugging themselves from this matrix because that's the matrix that's telling them, you know, when you graduate from medical school, you have this much, this many loans, but you have to come work for the hospital. We're going to give you, I don't know, $250,000. But if you want to send your patient for the labs or for x-rays, you have to send them to this place or things like that. Those right. are those chains that keep us locked in. And, you, and then you start seeing a patient just like a number. Once you lose that human touch, that physical connection to actually seeing a person in front of you, that's when you actually sold your soul. So um, you are very upfront. I'm a lot more gentler. So between us, I'm hoping we can get more and more <laughs> of our colleagues. To you see know, it. though, but uh, but to Kay, a couple things. A couple things I want to say is Kat, Kat mentions indoctrination. You you need look no further than the opioid crisis, which was this massive example of the indoctrinary process and how it goes bad for patients. It, all you need, as I've said, Kelly, many times, is an evangelical physician at the helm getting the the compliance of the regulatory agencies and the the agencies that you know the that hospital accreditation organizations, VA. Somebody gets into them, then it's all over. And this exact same thing happened in COVID. But uh, to your point, Kelly, about uh, masks not stop, stopping the spread in viral illnesses, uh, good news lead article in the New England Journal just came out. Um, uh, they're advocating for universal re routine masking in a healthcare setting because uh, people at risk could get viruses, you know. It, it's really, we're laughing, oh, but it's Lord, like, that's yeah. what we're up against. It's like uh, everybody right. with COPD is going to wear a mask all the time. What, what are we saying? And what are we doing to people's lives? It's just unbelievable. And one last thing is that Kat said something I just, I almost had to mute my mic and... Uh, laugh at but and i have mixed feelings about it when she said uh, well <laughs> when it comes to our peers we don't want to give them too much truth at once that's your quote <laughs> too much truth at once and i thought no no i do i do want to give them too much truth at once but i understand what you meant i understand there there are there are softer kinder ways to persuade yeah i, I you know i, I wish we could but once you know we're talking about one size fits all doesn't work right so it's going to work for every one of us yeah. we have to kind of lead them to water and allow them to realize that uh my really my true hope is that they remember why they became physicians and i think all three of us became physicians because we're trying to help an individual we're not trying to help the system we're trying to help this one person and that's really important. well but but I, you know well, no, no one has no one, i worry about yeah, some of our younger no, peers no one has used my name and the word diplo diplomatic in the same sentence. So perhaps diplomacy is not my is not amongst my skill set. But I want to use the last couple of minutes because what we were talking about before we came on, Kat, the three of us were talking about for me, and this is a serious issue, a true existential crisis where I find myself as a physician. I have now learned through this COVID debacle 
that much of what we have been told in medicine has been propaganda. Much of what we have read in the storied medical journals, the Lancet, JAMA, British Medical Journal, actually was nothing more, turns out, than marketing materials for big pharma. It wasn't just opiates, Drew. It wasn't just AZT back in you know the AIDS epidemic. Uh, it's statin drugs. It's all kinds of things. There's a reason why big pharma doesn't want you to know just how beneficial vitamin D is that getting your vitamin D levels up actually protects people against all kinds of things. And they don't want you to know that because it doesn't make money for the pharmaceutical companies. So the question for that I would throw out to, to both of you, and to you particularly, Kat, as someone in the independent practice of medicine, how do you sort it out? How are you making sense of what you've been taught whether it's about vaccines, about use of blood pressure medications, you know, diet, exercise, what are you telling your patients and what do you trust and what don't you trust in what you previously believed was your body of, of science, of truth? I've been a little bit lucky in, in that regard because I've always, you know, I'm a DO, so I've, always, I've been taught from the beginning to practice body, mind, and spirit, the person as a whole to always look at why something is happening and not just to, you know, give them medication for it. Mm -hmm. So my approach to medicine has always been a little bit natural. Plus, you know, coming from Mediterranean, um, I always felt that we are what we eat and things like that, right? What we do. And so I've always approached it in a very holistic way. But I agree with you. It's been a really a journey for me as well, even with vaccines, right? Are they all bad? Are some of them good? What do I do? Uh, but one thing that I've always done is listen to my patient and then just found a comfort zone for both of us and work from that point. Well, that is, I really, I really appreciate uh, what you're doing. I appreciate you joining us here. And just so you know, the way this entire show got started was really because Drew made this platform available for me to invite uh, guests of my choice and for us to have these robust open dialogues, this debate. Physicians don't agree on everything, but this is absolutely how we as a, as a profession, we as people, as practitioners come, I believe, to the best decisions in medicine. I've learned a ton from Drew over this, you know, these shows. I've learned a ton from you on all of our phone calls. I learned from all of these uh, unbelievable uh, selfless physicians who have participated um, in the different, you know, initiatives that you and I have worked on cat. And so I appreciate you being willing to share this and uh, this approach you're taking with, uh, with the storytelling and hopefully getting physicians out there, Drew, to understand uh, this, this was yeah. a mess and let's, let's not do it again. <laughs> and, and Kat, Kat, if you wouldn't mind, tell people where they can go to read more. Is it the summit? Is that the group? So uh, you can find our videos and stories on globalhealthproject.org. I do some writings on globalcovidsummit.org, and you can find me on Twitter at KL Veritas, where I try to be good <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, you, you don't Lindley. get kicked off. No, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you're, you, I, I work with uh, Kelly Victory. You seem pretty good, Kat. You seem, <laughs> you seem like you're okay with tar, tar, far as, as far as uh, escalating things. Uh, but thank you, Kat. We appreciate it, and I hope you'll come back again sometime soon. Thank you for having me.
You got gotcha. Thanks very much. Uh, and Kelly, we, you and I next week, uh, uh, Dennis Rancourt. Yeah, Dennis is that Rancourt. Correct? Yeah. Yes. Really looking forward Sh to hearing what about. What people uh, look? Well, Dennis and I share a, you know, yeah, Dennis and I share a common uh, belief that much of this was done again, as similar to what we're talking about today, as a great power grab that uh, that there really was mm -hmm. no pandemic crisis other than the one that was created uh, for the benefit of the powers that be. Um, not that the virus doesn't exist, but but that there was no real there was no real emergency. They created uh, and fabricated and orchestrated one. Uh, and then we've got uh, Mike Yaden coming uh, the following week. Yep. July nineteenth, uh, just brilliant. Yep. And, yep, and he'll be really terrific. And then we got Steve Kirsch and uh, Joseph Freeman, who uh, authored the the. Um, big study, retrospective study, looking back at the incidence of serious adverse events related to the vaccines. And uh, his data is really quite stunning um, with regard to, mm. I believe I believe his conclusion and the conclusion of the data, not his personal, but when, when they analyzed the data was that one out of 800 people had a serious adverse event uh, from the, from the mm. vaccine. So we'll be diving into all that. Great. Thank you, Kelly. And then on Friday, I'll be having Chef Gruel in here. I heard him on talking to Viva Fry, and I thought, wow, what a story. I got to get him in here. And uh, Mark McDonald, psychiatrist who talks about mass formation. I may have to adjust that because I'm traveling next week and I'm having a colonoscopy next week. Everybody get your colonoscopy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm walking the walk, as they say. Um, and uh, so the schedule remains a little wonky next week, and then we'll back to normal Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday after that. Kelly, thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Talk soon. All right. And for everyone else, uh, I don't think there's much else to say here. We've shown you the schedule. You know what's coming as Friday is our next show. It'll be three o'clock Pacific time and I'll see you there. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Mm -hmm.